The Avengers. That's what we call ourselves. Sort of like a team. Earth's mightiest heroes type thing. Avengers, time to work for a living. That's my secret. I'm always angry. I am on the side of life. You get hurt, hurt him back. You get killed, walk it off. I'm here to talk to you about the Avenger Initiative. I'm your host, Andrew, and I'm here to talk to you about the Avengers. Welcome to episode 89 of Some Assembly Required, your podcasting adventure into the annals of Earth's mightiest heroes, the Avengers. This week, we are taking a look at Avengers number 84, The Sword and the Sorceress. This issue is written by Roy Thomas, pencils by John Bosema, inks by Tom Palmer, letters by Mike Stevens, and it comes to us in January of 1971. Before we get started, I do want to say thank you to everyone who participated in our listener survey for our Villain Spotlight podcast. The winner of this particular poll was Ultron, uh, and as I have mentioned on Facebook, I do have my reading list ready. I'm about, about a fifth of the way through it right now, and I will be working on that in the coming weeks in parallel with doing some of our normal episodes. So that episode will be coming. It's going to take me a little bit of time because I need to finish reading all the material and then write up everything required. But in the not too distant future, you will have any in-depth look into the history of Ultron. So jumping into our issue, this cover is really quite nice. There's a lot of good action and really nice coloring. I am a little disappointed that they gave away the surprise of Archon, but I can also live with that because it was exciting to see his return. And to be fair, that particular surprise doesn't last too far into the issue anyways. So I'm not really losing out all that much. Also, there is, of course, some good Kirby crackle going on towards the bottom between the space and the horizon. And that's always a joy to see. I just Kirby crackle is so much fun. Racing through the air of an alien world, Black Knight urges his winged horse Aragorn onward ever faster. With palpable urgency, the pair make their way to a roiling cauldron in the ground known as the Well at the Center of Time. Black Knight is determined to hurl his enchanted sword, the Ebony Blade, into the well and rid himself of its vile influence once and for all. But when the moment comes, he cannot bring himself to part with the malevolent weapon. No sooner does he abandon his attempt than he is attacked by a swarm of warriors native to this world. Black Knight makes a valiant stand, but is eventually struck down by the leader of his attackers, Archon the Magnificent. So getting into the meat of our issue, we open up with a really awesome splash page. I didn't expect to see Black Knight when I flipped open the book, and of course I really enjoy it. Black Knight being one of my favorite lesser Avengers. Also, I gotta say, Aragorn is particularly good looking. So while I am not personally an artist, I have heard repeatedly from artists how difficult horses are to illustrate. I don't know why, it may have something to do with the anatomy, but I just, I've been told horses are tough. And not only does Jambosema make Aragorn just look really good overall, he does a great job of making him look very powerful. Right? This is a, a war horse as opposed to, you know, a mule. There is just tons of force and energy in this character. Also, talking about Black Knight, I didn't realize that the idea of the Ebony Blade controlling its wielder 
starts so early in comics. Not only that, but the idea that Black Knight is already so far under its sway that he's unable to throw away the blade. He's unable to part with it. And I love how conflicted he looks and how much struggle there is. With that, I also didn't fully understand at the beginning that Black Knight was no longer on Earth until Archon showed up in really all of his, let's face it, what he is, Conan glory. I probably should have figured that out given that Archon's on the cover and for some reason it just didn't dawn on me. Again, in that same vein, the color palette should have given it away to me, at least in part, because I do think the color palette here does a great job of making Archon's world look otherworldly and making it look apart from Earth. And for some reason, like I said, it just did not register in my brain that something was off. As Black Knight plummets towards the ground, a vision of his fate intrudes upon the mind of the sleeping Scarlet Witch. Though safe in Avengers Mansion, she is startled awake by the dream. When her fellow Avengers rush in to see what is wrong, Scarlet Witch insists that something is wrong with the Black Knight, and the Avengers vow to look into the matter. I have to say I really do feel sorry for Scarlet Witch in this era, especially with how conservative she is portrayed. It really is a bit painful. If you look at her her night clothes are just so 1950s kind of leave it to beaver, you know, the full length nightgown with the, the ruffled sleeves and everything. It just, it doesn't look all that comfortable and quite honestly, all that natural. And all of this is on top of the idea that she is often portrayed as being painfully shy and is moderately under the control of her brother Quicksilver. And then they start dressing her like this on top of that, at least when she's out of costume. And it piles on more and more and more. Speaking of costumes, why is everyone else in costume except the Scarlet Witch? Like, that's a little awkward to me. It feels like something else is going on, and they just didn't bother to wake up the only woman on the team. That's just really kind of weird. Or even slightly weirder, they're just hanging out in their costumes. Which, I guess for someone like Quicksilver, maybe Black Panther, they could be, like, super comfy. Like, the bodysuits could be really comfortable. I feel like Goliath's suit being a lot more bondage gear-like, probably not as comfortable and just hanging out in it doesn't seem like a, like a good time. Now, it's interesting here because it almost seems as though Scarlet Witch has a connection with Black Knight instead of Archon, but given how the last issue ended where Archon was present, I'm really inclined to believe that Scarlet Witch is seeing things more from Archon's perspective than from Black Knight's, and that Black Knight just happened to be there. Taking the obvious first step, Quicksilver and Black Panther place a call to Dane Whitman's English Manor, only to be told by his butler that Whitman is not home and that his current whereabouts are unknown. Believing that Archon is involved with the disappearance of Black Knight, based on Scarlet Witch's vision, the Avengers rush to summon Thorn and his magical hammer Mjolnir. With this, the heroes hope to open a portal to Archon's dimension and rescue their friend. So honestly, attempting to call Black Knight like over the phone is probably the most sensible thing that, that the Avengers have ever done. And it is probably downhill from here for the entire rest of the series. Like we have, we have peaked in terms of logical responsible actions and we are just, we are going over the hill, over the cliff, and we're just going to do crazy stuff for the rest of eternity, for the rest of the Avengers. We, we made, we made one really good decision and then, and we're done. Maybe that's just me. Maybe I'm being a little pessimistic, but they made a really great decision to just call Black Knight and then I have very little doubt that the Avengers are gonna not follow that up in the future with other good decisions. 
Back in Archon's throne room, Black Knight is brought before the Warlord who believes Black Knight is a spy and demands to know the details of his mission. Black Knight insists that he is on a personal quest and refuses to speak further of it. This only serves to further enrage his host. So here we see Archon on his throne and next to him, very much in the aid in the Seneschal kind of role, the Vizier role, if you're a Disney fan, the Jafar role from Aladdin, we see Enchantress. And she is very much controlling Archon and it's very obvious to everyone except Archon. And she's doing a fantastic job of it. It's kind of like Grima Wormtongue from Lord of the Rings, but a lot better looking. And not only is she controlling him, but the fact that she's a very fetching blonde really plays into Archon's desires. I'll let you fill in the blanks there. It also doesn't appear that Archon is actually responsible for Enchantress showing up in this dimension, but that Enchantress is making the best of the situation. So Enchantress offers to unlock the secrets of his mission and kisses Black Knight deeply. Now, under her spell, Black Knight begins to tell the tale of how he came to Archon's dimension. After having stopped a pair of jewel thieves in an overzealous manner, Black Knight is forced to confront the fact that the Ebony Blade's maligned influence over him is growing. Seeking guidance from his ancestor, Sir Percy, the hero is sent to Stonehenge on a quest to destroy the Ebony Blade and rid himself of its poison. Upon arriving, Black Knight is greeted by a mysterious ancient figure who sends him to Archon's dimension in order to find the well at the center of time. From there, Archon knows the rest of the story. Archon is unconvinced and decides that he must take the attack to the Avengers. So obviously this is one hell of a kiss, like super powerful kiss, where Black Knight just immediately starts spilling his beans. As we see in this sequence, we find out really what drove Black Knight to try and get rid of the Ebony Blade, which is when he was stopping these jewel thieves, he destroyed the helicopter they were in by the way they were shooting at him from. And while he saved them, he knew in his mind that there was a, a period of time, however short, where he was not planning to save them. He was going to let them just die. So I can understand where he's coming from, right? He's a hero and then he does something that is very not heroic and it is starting to bother him. But I think he's taking it a bit too far. He calls his potential actions an execution, and that is probably stretching it a little bit. Also, in fairness, the two guys, one of which has a Tommy gun, right? A Thompson submachine gun. These guys are probably not afraid of being murdered, somewhat contrary to the way the issue portrays them. These are not, these are hardened criminals. These are not guys who would be afraid of dying. And I think that just lends itself further to Black Knight response being a little bit of an, an exaggeration, a little bit of a excessive. Now, of course, he calls on his ancestor, Sir Percy, because it's Black Knight and this is his default. I will say that while the character looks good, he doesn't look as good as he did in some other issues when he summoned. And, you know, that's always kind of, un, I don't say unfortunate, but I always like the potential for something like Sir Percy because you can do a lot with this otherworldly, uh, ghostly kind of figure and they don't really go with it. Now, obviously, because they're in England, the most logical place to do something mystical is Stonehenge. And of course, there's an unnamed mysterious old person because why not? Now here, it gets a little bit muddy exactly what's happening. I get the overarching plot, but the details start to fall apart. Now, I don't know if that's an intentional choice because I can totally see that because this is a trip through Black Knight's memories, not everything would be clear, but I can also see it as moving through the less important parts of the story quickly to just be done with them. Now, at the end of this 
retelling, Archon makes some pretty astonishing leaps of logic, which I am kind of forced to assume are due to Enchantress's manipulations. And in fairness, she's also making some dubious jumps because she's assuming that the Avengers will follow Black Knight. While it turns out to be true, there isn't really good reason for her to assume this from her perspective, right? She does not know about the link between Archon and Scarlet Witch, so she would have no way of knowing that the Avengers are at all aware of this situation. And if they don't know that the situation exists, there's no way in hell they're going to show up. So we're stretching things a little bit here and, and we're making some, some jumps really for the sake of just moving forward on the plot. Just as Thor and Black Panther approach Avengers Mansion so that Thor can create this portal and transport the Avengers to Archon's dimension, they are confronted by a wall of magical energy that engulfs the mansion, causing it to vanish before their eyes. As the energy clears, Thor clearly sees the face of Enchantress and is warned to stay off Earth if he knows what is best for him. So I'm forced to wonder if Enchantress was just planning to abduct Avengers Mansion all along, or did this happen as a result of Archon saying he needed to make a first strike against the Avengers? A few of these kinds of choices, when later mixed with the dialogue that's occurring, start to make it tough to determine kind of the cause and effect sequence for these particular events. You know, are characters doing things of their own accord, of their own plans? Are they doing them because other characters have said something and they're following those orders? That is kind of lost in this portion of the issue. Now, meanwhile, within Avengers Mansion, the rest of the team find themselves roughly transported to Archon's world. This time, Archon's guards are waiting for them, and although the Avengers spring into action, they are quickly subdued by the guards. Scarlet Witch is the last to fall after having been overpowered by Enchantress's magic. Encased in Permablast, the Avengers are brought before Archon, Enchantress, and a bewitched Black Knight. After Scarlet Witch once again spurns Archon's advances, the entire team team is sent to the tower. So it appears that Archon's troops have been preparing for the Avengers because they hold up against the Avengers much better this time. Remember last time the Avengers just bowled through Archon's troops like it was nothing. This time what appear to be some of the elite guards are able to take out the Avengers. So obviously Archon has been looking towards this day, knowing it's going to come. I'm also becoming a fan of this rivalry, repeated dueling thing we're seeing between Scarlet Witch and Enchantress. Since both of them are female magic users, but they have functionally different abilities, it makes for some interesting back and forth, and I'm enjoying it. It also starts to move Scarlet Witch into a position of more power. Right, Enchantress is always played as being very powerful, and those times that Scarlet Witch either faces off against her in general, or can actually defeat her, as we'll see later in the issue, it really enhances Scarlet Witch's status within the team. At least, not necessarily from an in-story standpoint, but from standpoint of, like, me the reader, I really find that very empowering for the character, and bumps her up, in my opinion, now, luckily for the Avengers, Thor and Black Panther refuse to heed Enchantress's warning and arrive in the alternate dimension. While Thor engages with the guards, Black Panther secretly makes his way to the tower where the Avengers are being held. When he finds his teammates, they are in a magically induced, dejected state. 
Only Black Panther's regal commands manage to break through to Vision. Once Vision is free, his fellow Avengers find courage in his actions and soon free themselves as well. So Thor wastes zero time in showing up and wrecking this place, and I like it. Thor just does not care, and he is demolishing anyone and everything he sees. Now, unfortunately, that's kind of counterbalanced by what Black Panther's doing, in that the fact that Black Panther has to command Vision to just try harder, basically, as a means of freeing himself is really kind of blah. It feels like the solution to an episode of Care Bears. Honestly, it's try harder, believe in yourself, which I'm not saying is a terrible thing, but it's kind of a cop-out in this situation. The other thing that kind of bugs me here is, and I mentioned this the last time we were on Archon's planet, I feel like a lot of Archon's world, especially his fortress, are done in a very knockoff Jack Kirby style that just falls short. It's not necessarily that the art is poorly done, but I know what this kind of Jack Kirby art looks like. Right? We see it in Asgard and, new, and you know, as a modern comic reader, I've seen it in things like New Gods and, and whatnot. Or uh, Jack Kirby's really crazy uh, concept art for Lord of Light, which if you haven't seen it, go check it out. It's fantastic. Very, very psychedelic, very crazy. But I know what this could look like if it had been done by Kirby and what I have on the page is obviously falling very short of that and it's unfortunate in part because I have to men I'm mentally making this comparison and because I also think we miss out on a chance for Busema to do his own thing now freed the Avengers join Thor in his assault on Archon and his minions they are fighting an uphill battle the tide finally turns when Scarlet Witch attempts to use her hex magic on Archon which forces Enchantress to concentrate even harder on Archon and lose her grip on Black Knight freed from the spell Black Knight confronts Archon and in the resulting skirmish the ebony blade disappears into the well at the center of time with Enchantress's spell broken Archon ceases his fight with the Avengers admits his error and then is forced to confront the resulting damage to his world as the Avengers return to their home. So admittedly, this issue ends on kind of a downer here. We see Archon kind of staring out at his world and the the pieces it is currently in because of what has just happened. It's a little bit of a bummer. Now, what I do really like is that we kind of introduce the idea that Enchantress's abilities are finite. So in order for her to maintain her grip on Archon, who is now under Scarlet Witch's attack, she has to remove her hold on Black Knight. Right, so that right there tells me her, her abilities are infinite. It also started to make me wonder if the Ebony Blade's influence required her to use more of her abilities to counter its effects. Obviously, Archon is a very powerful individual, and I'm wondering if Black Knight, with the influence of the Ebony any blade was sapping up more of her strength or more of her abilities than than was expected i don't have any kind of justification for this it's just an interesting thought that i've had while i was i was going through this issue especially once once i, I came to the realization that at least based on this enchantress's powers are finite that she can only put so much energy into controlling so many people and if she has to put more energy towards one person that means she has to take it away from somewhere else if she's already maxed out obviously if she's not maxed out then you know she can add another person but it appears that these two individuals have already maxed out her abilities so that when there's additional strain put on her control over archon thanks to scarlet witch's attack 
she's forced to reallocate resources and lose Black Knight. We also, again, see here another portion of that back and forth between Enchantress and Scarlet Witch, where Scarlet Witch doesn't necessarily win this fight per se, but Enchantress certainly loses, if you're, if you're following me. The other thing here is that the Black Knight ends up free from the Ebony Blade's influence, though at the end of this issue, it's not clear if the blade was destroyed by the well or if it was just sent somewhere else. Now, again, being... 50 years in the future here almost, I know that the Ebony Blade has not been destroyed. In fact, having read Avengers comics further into the future, I know the Ebony Blade has not been destroyed. But at least at this point in time, it is unclear what has become of the Ebony Blade. So overall, I think this is a fairly middle-of-the-road issue that does a good job of picking up where the last story left off. It's certainly not where I would have expected the story to go, but I'm not upset by that. This was a fun plot, a fun story. Unfortunately, Archon felt like more of a plot device than an actual character, and I'm not really keen on that one. He was a much stronger presence in his last appearance, and he seemed kind of diminished and undermined in this issue. Now, obviously, part of that was be intentional because of Enchantress's control, but even still, it felt like he was there mostly as dressing for her story, which, in a lot of ways, I'm okay with because... Let's face it, a lot of female characters have that happen for male character-centric stories, but I don't think it's a good way to go about telling a story either direction. And finally, the art throughout is pretty solid. Again, I've mentioned a couple of nitpicks, but, you know, this is really very strong and, and, and what we've come to expect from John Buscema. He's a very talented artist and does very, very good work, especially on this book. I don't think he's great at trying to mirror Kirby's style, but, you know, I've got a hard time coming up with anyone who really does Kirby justice other than Kirby. So just evaluating the book on its own merits, I think it's a, a very strong book in terms of art. Remember, you can find us at AvengersAssembly.com. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And you can find this podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and YouTube. Next episode, we are going to be taking a look at Avengers number 85, The World is Not for Burning. All right, hey. All right, good job, guys. Let's just not come in tomorrow. Let's just take a day. Have you ever tried shawarma? There's a shawarma joint about two blocks from here. I don't know what it is, but I want to try it.